Again, the views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 348th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. It's only two away from 350. That's a hell of a lot of shows. And we're broadcasting in our eighth year across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. And this is the intersection of the world where technology meets entertainment. I guess the big question this week is why the US government would sabotage a strong bull market and a healthy economy to get a couple of hundred billion dollars in trade concessions. You know, we know that this week Harley-Davidson is moving a lot of its manufacturing to Europe after there was a big fuss made about how Mr. Trump was going to keep them here. Chinese investment in the US over the last six months is down 92%. And we know that Boeing is going to lose $18 billion in orders from the Chinese. So you're probably up around 20 or $30 billion because of these tariffs. And every time you add another $50 billion in tariffs to the Chinese imports, forgetting about Europe, it costs this country an absolute fortune. But I guess as a headline, headlines like record US trade deficit with China pushes more buttons than the base than uh, logic about how much it's actually costing us in dollars. Now, if you start the catch cries like, we're losing jobs, your incomes aren't growing because of China's winning. Well, that's all bullshit. You know, the reality is totally different. In 2017, the US trade deficit with China was about $350 billion. That means that we buy about $350 billion more of Chinese stuff then China buys of ours. Okay, $350 billion is a big number. But if you look at it in terms of the US GDP, America produces $19 trillion worth of goods and services a year. So that $350 billion trade deficit amounts to about 1.5% of our GDP. So it's pretty insignificant. Now, the S&P 500 has a market cap much bigger than the US GDP. It's around 25 trillion. So every time there's a 50 billion in new tariffs announced, 
the S&P sells off about 1%. So US investors lose about $250 billion in lost value. So every time the government talks about putting on a 1% or uh, sorry a 50 billion dollar tariff on china it costs the country 200 billion directly somehow that doesn't seem like a great way to grow the economy and it's even more complicated than that because in 2017 the us exported 130 billion dollars worth of goods to china and aeroplanes and soybeans accounted for about 20% of that. Imports to the US from China totaled $505 billion, and $70 billion of that was cell phones. Another $45 billion, I think, was computers, $33 billion in telecom equipment, and $31 billion in computer stuff. So the US trade deficit's about $350 billion. And as you can see, there's clearly a lot of US iPhones being made in China and then shipped back to the America to America. So it's all right for Trump to say all these iPhones are being made in China. So US jobs are being shipped overseas. Well that's also bullshit because iPhones have never been made overseas in America ever. So there's no jobs being shipped anywhere they wouldn't be made here so that is all just hype to try and cover the fact that it's costing us a fortune so we so somebody can get re-elected also in america a shortage of jobs is not the problem too many jobs are really the problem the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that there's six million job openings around the country that can't be filled. But if you go out and say America's got plenty of jobs, that doesn't motivate the base. So that's not going to get you out the boat. But jobs being shipped off to China, even if it's absolute bullshit, resonates. Go figure that. So Let's forget about the fact that the US economy is booming. Never mind that there's more jobs than there are people that fill them. Let's say you wanted to build iPhones in the US. In China, assemblers make $400 a month. Foxconn, the company that assembles the iPhone, actually has eight openings for assemblers in the US. And they're paying $8.68 an hour. So surely if we're going to have a fight with somebody that's going to cost us just with one country alone $200 billion, surely we should be setting our sights on a bloody higher than a few, than eight minimum wage jobs. None of it makes sense. Nobody's thought it through. And the other thing is how much does China actually benefit from this trade deficit? Again, 350 million bucks there ahead. That sounds great. But China doesn't make all the parts that go into the iPhone. That 350 million gets spent on products and chips from all over the world. And screens come from Corning. But when that phone gets shipped from the China to the US, the total value of the item 
gets treated as an import, despite the fact that they've spent well over half of that buying the parts to put in the iPhone. So in real terms, the trade deficit with the Chinese is nowhere near $350 billion. It might be $100 billion. And so we're losing $250 billion every time it, go, it puts a $50 billion tariff on. We're losing $200 billion just so he can say, I fulfilled my promise. I'm cutting the deficits. And he's not cutting them at all. It's just rubbish. China is just selling and buying from somewhere else. So we've got midterm elections coming up in just a few months. And voters probably aren't going to like it if the S&P is down 10%. That's $2.5 trillion we lose due to the Chinese having a trade surplus that's about 100 million, maybe 100 billion. So we're going to lose 2.5 trillion because the Chinese have got a surplus of maybe 100 billion. God, whatever happened to logic, reality and truth? There's absolutely no truth. It's a whole phony thing to drum up the base to get elected. It's bullshit. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've got about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read. Some days it takes a bit longer. Tomorrow takes a little bit longer. I think tomorrow will probably take you a minute. But we talk about advances in medicine and new apps and new technology. We talk about um, uh, the Hyperloop and CRISPR and autonomous cars, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and today's newsletter is about kids and screens. Now, in the last month alone, we've had a Finnish academic say the smartphones that are blamed for the drop in education rankings. Teachers say that screen use may be responsible for an increase in myopia, which is a lack of imagination foresight, and claims that the latest electronic game, Fortnite, has driven boys to steal their parents' credit cards. Yet all evidence suggests that in only in a very small percentage of cases can excessively long hours in front of a screen exacerbate underlying problems. However, if you want to know more, get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Just go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll. There's also a common myth that most successful startup founders are dropouts, and that is also rubbish. Zuckerberg Gates and Jobs are white, male, American college dropouts. So therefore, white, male college dropouts make successful entrepreneurs. No. When you start adding other successful startup founders like Mason and Parsons and Brin and Page and Hurley and Yang and Cuban and Hastings and Wang and Bezos and a whole bunch of others, we're now down to only about 20% of dropouts and they're a lot less homogeneous. In reality, the stories about billionaire, millionaire dropouts overlook the fact that there are 34 million college dropouts. You don't hear about any of them because they don't achieve anything. And that 34 million college dropouts are 71% more likely to be un unemployed 
and four times more likely to default on their student loans. And far from being millionaires, on average, they earn 32% less than college graduates. You know, a minimum 97% of startup entrepreneurs fail, and the primary reason is lack of skills in business disciplines. You know, certainly there's some dropouts who succeed. Those that see an opportunity that exists at the moment and will not wait for three years until they complete their degree. And those with unique personality traits which help in succeeding as an entrepreneur or have entrepreneurial parents or a network of friends, family and acquaintances who open doors. And exceptional individuals whose hard work, determination and intelligence, well, that, that also makes up for lack of college degrees, but there are very few of them. A recent report shows that tertiary educated entrepreneurs were also much more likely to be founding cutting-edge startups in fields like medical technology, education and fintech. So far from being an obstacle to entrepreneurial success, a college education gives you the skills necessary to capitalise on a great idea. Just another thing to bear in mind, 82% of all prisoners in the United States are high school dropouts. Today we've got another great interview for entrepreneurs. Will, Will Henschel, a good friend of mine, is the founder and CEO at Focus at Will. He began as a songwriter, music producer and artist. He's written lots of songs and performed on many platinum hit records. He's got five patents and uh, he's started five startups in the past 30 years, all of which have been a huge success. Now I'm going to be back with Will Henshaw after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're broadcasting this week across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, where technology meets entertainment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, over the last six years or more, we've given you insights into the lives of over something like 350 of the world's most interesting people from all walks of life. We've talked about 
what they do, and what it is that um, hopefully we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely rare to find an extraordinary personality or a unique talent, and it's even more difficult to create a successful business. You know, we know that something like 95% plus of all businesses fail. So one of the keys to programs like this and to um, uh, books and all the guidance uh, programs that you get is to take notice of what other people have done to make them successful. So the aim of this segment is to help you weather the obstacles that everyone who is successful is going to face at some point along the journey and hopefully help you to become one of the ones that are successful. Today's guest, Will Henschel, is founder and CEO of Focus at Will, a new neuroscience music for work subscription service. That's hard to say. <laughs> a new neuroscience music for work subscription service. It's easier the second time. That is proven to supercharge your productivity up to four times. Now, Will is my hundredth guest from the unbelievable metal group of leaders, which I am very privileged to be a member of. So um, just from that perspective alone, this is a, a milestone interview. <laughs> like all metal members, Will's had an extraordinary and varied life. Now, he began as a songwriter, music producer and artist, founder of the UK-based pop soul band London Beat. He was signed to Radioactive MCA Records and had two USA number one songs in the early 90s. What I might do, I might actually get Will to show you his wall of fame in a few minutes. Um, so then Will then became a software inventor and was founder of San Francisco-based Rocket Network, which has created technology that networked audio recording studios. They sold the company to Avid in 2003. The digi-delivery media transfer system is part of Pro Tools and is used every day in pro audio production all over the world. Now, another radical departure, in 2003, he became professional photographer, visual artist, and ran a professional photography company in Los Angeles. He then started Focus at Will in late 2009. Another big jump, and this is a new neuroscience-based music technology company that delivers productivity and on-demand tools that enhance focused and attention span for working, studying and reading. So, Will's written songs and performed on many platinum hit records. He's got five patents for technology. He created the Pro Tools Digi Delivery Pro Audio tool and he started up five startups in the past 30 years. That, to me, is one hell of a career. And I'm a, uh, Bob, I'm exhausted just listening to all this. Yeah, I know. I've, it makes me envious. I sit there and think, geez, I've wasted my life. These guys are so fucking talented. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Will, yeah. welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard all around the world. Well, thank you, Bob. Um, it really, I think I might need to cancel the interview and get uh, get a nap and then call you back. <laughs> I know it's – when you're in it, you don't notice it, you know? Yeah, I know. Show, you don't. Before we start, just show us yeah. your wall behind oh, you. Oh, you want me to yeah, show just, my – Just have a quick look at the wall. 
Yeah, this is actually one of the walls. I, I got a couple. That's one yeah. of the walls. And yeah, these are. Um, I don't know if I've got enough cable. Yeah, that's all right. So I was in the band. I was in the band London Beat. Yeah, and uh, was the main writer right. and uh, performer, and uh, played on all the records and toured with the band for many years. And uh, the song that people will remember, um, the the biggest song was called "I've Been Thinking About You." Right. And you look it up on YouTube, you'll see me with a ridiculous haircut from back in the 90s. <laughs> uh, it was the BMI PRS song of the year. And um, <clears throat> yeah, number one record all over the world. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I spent 20 odd years as a rock and roll singer and I had a couple of hit records back in Australia. And uh, um, right. it's, a, it's a great part of your life. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore, but it was a great part of your life. Yeah, so, right. When you're a kid, and you go to school, college, whatever, um, and you're sitting there wondering, what am I going to do with my life? Did you always want to be a musician? Was that – how did you get into the music business? Well, you don't want to be a musician. You are a musician. Okay. It's a blessing and a curse. So I can speak this other language called music. Mm-hmm. And um, those of us that can, by the way, about 10% of the population are musicians of some kind. So it's one in 10. Mm. And no wonder, it, no, no wonder it's so <laughs> hard to make a dollar. Yeah, one in 10 <laughs> are a musician. There's a lot of people, right? Yeah. Um, there's two types of musicians. There's, there's people who can sight read and who learn music, who can play classical music, who went to, you know, you, here's sure. your guitar lesson, play this piece of music. There's another one which is, you know, you know, here's the piano, play the stuff. And then there's people like me and the rest of us that play by ear. So when I used to go to music lessons as a kid and I started lessons at four, right. I remember sitting on the piano and seeing the dots on the page and just not being able to just go, what the, how does that work? Yeah. And then I got a great ear. So I would watch the teacher play, memorize it, come back next week playing what she played and kind of look at the page, but I had no idea where I was on the page. <laughs> and <clears throat> that is what started me off that I'm a, I play by ear and I'm a composer. I, I can't really play other people's music. I, I just, when I sit on an instrument, I just know what to play. I, I, I'll just jump quickly to an interesting story that, I was very blessed later on, as you're saying, uh, with London Beat to, to, to have had notable international success. And one year I got, in 1992, I got a gong. It's up here, actually. You could see it earlier. I was the writer of the year. And I sat next to Paul McCartney during the, during the ceremony, right. which was fantastic. I mean, I'm sitting next to Paul <laughs> bloody McCartney, right? right. What can, by the way, what are you going to say to Paul McCartney? Uh, uh, hi, uh, what kind of strings do you use on your bass? But I had a question. My question to him was, Paul, I have heard that you can't read music. Is that true? And he goes, yeah, lad, the dots get in the way of the notes. <laughs> I was like, there you go. Paul McCartney, I wish I'd known this when I was a kid at school. <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. He, drunk, McCartney feel, is in the same thing. You, you feel music and you write yeah. it and you, you, you don't have a, a trained background. So I've always been a musician and it's a blessing and a curse. How long did you go to music lessons for? Um, well, on, on and off until I left high school. Right. Um, but I, I was uh, I was lucky. I, I found a couple of people who who were also interested in composition and and uh, improvisation. And then I realised that 
yeah, you need to have an understanding of the framework of music, the circle of fifths and the way that sure. chords go together. Um, but if you actually study it too much and you get too involved in the technique, you become a dry player. You, you actually stop playing with soul yeah, and you, you start being technical. Yeah. And uh, in the 80s, I moved to uh, New York. I'm, you can tell by my accent, I'm originally British. And in the 80s, I moved to New York City <clears throat> and I played bass on a bunch of I was a sort of a session bass player, a sure. music producer in, yep. in the 80s. And I played bass in the UK on a number of, uh, you know, new age kind of punky uh, band records. And when I went to New York, all of the players there were really technically competent. Mm. They were really good players. And because I wasn't a very good player, people would say, dude, you just have such an English style. I'm like, well, I, I, how do you do that? That little trilly, that, that, you know, and then I realized, oh, the secret is vibe. Right. You know, you're a rock guy. You want yeah. a bass player who plays one note on time. <laughs> and so that's what I learned. It's all about, it's all about a vision. It's all about knowing what you're trying to do. Feel. Feel. Uh, okay. So a couple of hit records. And yeah. presto, you're in the centre of action in San Francisco and you're a software inventor. That seems to me like a big leap and an even bigger learning curve than music. Hey, yeah. What did, what happened? You woke up one, <laughs> woke up one yeah. night and said, oh, put the bass in the corner. Now I'm just going to go and invent something <laughs> important. Well, I come from a long line of British inventors. Okay. I am the fifth generation inventor uh, on both sides of my parents' families. Um, my dad is like a chitty, chitty, bang, bang kind of ridiculous inventor. He invents stuff that people don't ever need. Um, but <laughs> back in the, back in the lineage, there's someone who was, who was involved in TV invention, a lot of steam, a lot of industrial process. Right. You know. yeah. um, so I've always had a sort of a parallel life of being a sort of I'm interested in techie invention things yep. due to my family. Uh, and I, then I'm this kind of intuitive feel musician. And um, in the 80s, uh, I got very interested in the internet. And in 1980, um, I want to say four, right. my brother, my brother Matt, was a huge influence on me. And he was a very early internet developer before there was such a thing as the internet. And he helped me get online in, the, in I think, 84, 83 or 84. And um, I was on a system called Demon Co. UK, which was one of the very first British uh, uh, yep. net systems. And then when I moved to the States, it was dial up through uh, the well, actually. Yep. So that got me involved and fascinated in the idea of, wait a minute, there's this thing, which is the internet, and I can dial into it. And because the early days are very interested in digital audio recording. So I was an early digital audio recording engineer. And of course, they're just numbers, they're bits and they're files. The files were too big to put through your phone modem. But phone modems were getting faster all the time. Yeah. And that was like, that's interesting. One day, we're going to be able to put files that we're recording up through a fast line onto the internet. And that's what got me started in, hmm. So we're in a recording studio and we're pushing, we're, you know, we're recording tapes, big fat multi-track tapes. I this is, this is, <clears throat> this is my partner, John, you can see in the background. Hi, John. <laughs> How are you? I the blog, I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> and um, so back in the day, uh, recording studios were all multi-track tapes. Yeah. 
Right. And they had to be shipped around. They were very valuable, heavy, difficult, easy to distort by getting, you know, getting them close to magnets. And, know them and then well. as soon as, right. And then as soon as it got into digital audio, that's when like the two sides of my brain started going, wait a minute, I want to be able to record the audio in New York with a vocalist there. And then how do we get that digital audio through the phone line to, and so on. And so the thing that I was the founder of then is called Rocket Network. And that was all about collaborating remotely with music and, and sound. And that led me to the center of San Francisco. Um, Paul Allen uh, put $18 million into the company, Cisco, um, uh, a lot of other uh, uh, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs were involved. And right. I found myself running a tech company uh, in 1995 and 96, I was actually both in the band. We had a number one single in the States in 1990, early 95, I think, 94, 95. And I found myself both the CEO of a tech company and guitarist writer in a, in a pop band signed to MCA uh, Records. Right. It was a weird time. Yeah. A weird time. It's a bit, it's a, it's a bit like the um, guitarist who's a rocket scientist or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> with Queen. Oh, Brian, do you mean Brian? Brian May, Brian May yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a, a nuclear physicist, isn't he? Yeah, he's a nuclear physicist and a mm -hmm. a um, guitarist in what could be described as a pretty good band. Yeah, he's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're here in about three weeks at the yeah. Hollywood Bowl. Wow. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so you've had five startups altogether. Now, it's difficult yeah. to have one startup. And we know that 95% yeah. of people fail. So what makes you different? What What is it about you that has been the key to sort of consistent success? Doesn't matter what you do, it works. What? what? It is sheer, bullheaded, absolute persistence and, believe in, and belief in my own ability. Right. Um, and never looking down. Yeah. You know, don't, don't look down. Um, or back. Yeah, well, sometimes it's a good idea to work. <laughs> to but I, I, I've been asked this question a few times recently. Um, what, what is it? Well, the secret of entrepreneurship is to be able to pivot and understand that the idea that you had might not be the idea that's actually going to make you make this company successful, but you can't get to be uh, to C, if you didn't go through B, you start with A, you get to B, and you get to C. Yeah, I agree. I was just about to say that. How you, you have to, you have to understand that timing is everything. So actually, the simple answer to your question is timing, because you could have had. This is the example I like to give. Um, YouTube was sold to Google. Um, what, when was it? Ten years ago, maybe two thousand. Yeah, probably about ten. Yeah. Ten, ten -ish years ago, for two or three years before. Um, that happened. Anybody could have done that. Yep. The tools to do it were open source. You literally, and there were loads of video sharing sites. The yep. load of, there were loads of people that were doing it. Yep. But the guys behind it had the vision. They were like, now is the time, and this is how this is going to work. Their timing was immaculate. The, the tools were available. They were like, this is going to help the Google search engine. They pitched it. Their timing was phenomenal. Yep. And so... Often it's about timing. Zuckerberg, right man, right time, right place. Timing, timing, timing. And pretty smart too. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Silicon Valley has some very, very smart people in it. There are. So, then, would you argue that um, back with your digital um, recording software or mm-hmm. the Rocket you, Network? Yeah, Rocket yeah. Network. Yeah. Was that timing? Because it seems to me that it, at that point you were ahead of the curve. The pioneers are the guys with the arrows in their backs. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I lost a couple of million bucks on that myself. Right. We were about 20 years too, 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 early. Uh, too early. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you have the, um, the kudos of being the guy that invented the thing that then became successful by someone else. And um, luckily for me, the Rocket Network technology, 10 years after we started it, was sold to Avid. And it is only just now, anybody who listens to this that uses Pro Tools, which is you know yeah. the, the main recording technology that most people use, yeah. Pro Tools has only just now come out with cloud collaboration, which is basically the tech that we sold them in 2003. Right. Wow. 15 years later, it is now a viable an idea, which is track-based collaboration within a digital audio workstation. Yeah. Geez, you could have lost a shitload of money if you had hung in there and then made it up. But it Well, we didn't. We sold and got out alive, although oh, I didn't make good. a lot of money, you know. But, um, yeah, if I'd have been able to hang on in there for another 15 years, but I'm, I, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now, we, <laughs> so now we move on to today. Right. Now, I read um, – Einstein got into flow state by playing the violin and that yeah. the part of his brain that was disconnected from the real world was able to go and then work out some incredible stuff. So yeah. how did you come to the realisation that music can not only be used to <laughs> stimulate and excite and an emotional driver but can also be used to get people to concentrate and to focus? How, how did that seems to me to be a strange connection yeah actually it was observation um in 2008 and 9 uh more and more people were working in an open office yeah more and more people were and um if you're working in a noisy environment and by people working i'm talking about uh, designing uh web work or yeah. design you know uh any kind of financial or, or, or computer developing or or you know <clears throat> most computer work um is where you are sitting in a big room with other people. When you want to get something done, you instinctively reach for your headphones and put some music on to block out the noise. Right? That's what we right. do. Okay. So what happens, though, is what do you listen to? Because if you listen to music you like, what you're doing, by the way, that's anything uh, in the commercial music, anything on Spotify or CDs you've got, doesn't matter. Right. What you're doing is, sure, you've got rid of one problem, which is like you blocked out the noise, but you've introduced a new problem, which is now you're listening to the music. Yep. And um, to, I, I, I met people at Singularity University, another group of incredibly bright people from Absolutely. the Bay Area. Yep. And they invested, by the way, they're one of my major investors in Focus at Will. Um, and through them, I met a, a group of phenomenal neuroscientists, a couple of whom are actually on my team now. And... Um, I learned something very interesting, Bob. When you listen to music, humans listen to music 
The sound goes in your ears. It bypasses your brain and goes straight to your limbic system. Right. Right. It makes you feel. That's why us humans like music. You'll go and see the Rolling Stones. Even if you don't like the Rolling Stones, you will feel what you feel because the music goes straight in your ears and straight to the feel good music. Yep. And that is true of anything. You could hear a piece of music that was a big hit when you were a teenager and you made out with someone the first time, whatever it is, something happened right now. You hear that you'll be like, oh, so the limbic system, which is where you feel things yep. and music are completely linked. However, the limbic system is also where your fight or flight mechanism sits. So I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm looking, you're on my computer screen. I'm looking right in front of me. I'm using my hands and my voice and I'm talking to you like this. Right. I can't see behind me. So yeah. my, my safety is driven largely while I'm concentrating on talking to you. My safety is driven by my hearing. My hearing works in 360. Yeah. And humans, by the way, you can never turn your hearing off. Even when you're asleep, if you hear a loud bang, you're going to wake up. Yep. So your hearing is always looking for your safety. And your hearing is linked to your limbic system. Yep. So if you listen to music while you're working and the music is tickling your limbic system, if it has vocals in it, if it is music that is very emotional, if it's music you knew, if it's music you like and engages you, you cannot help but be distracted. <laughs> Nothing you can do about it, right? Yep. So that led me in 2008 and 2009 um, to talk to the guys at Singularity University and John Vitale, who's a, another metal member, you yep. saw him just now, yep. uh, he and I put together this business, which is, is there a type of music which supports the limbic system, kind of soothes it? Is, is it possible to, have, to, to, to find music that soothes the limbic and does not distract you? It does not trigger the fight or flight response. Is, is it possible? And the answer is after about $5 million worth of investment, a lot of late nights, a lot of crazy um, brain machines in the lab, and a lot of you know, going up dead ends and, and coming back out again. The answer is yes. Could, yes. Can I ask a question here? Um, we had a substantial marketing office in Santa Monica. We had 30-odd people. And right. we, had, we had music on a loop. And right. now we were just creating promotions and marketing strategies, the typical marketing office. And mm -hmm. we would have 10 minutes of Zeppelin and we'd have 10 minutes of Beethoven and we'd have 10 minutes of the Beach Boys and 10 minutes of ACDC. And, the, and we did this all day because we found that it encouraged productivity mm -hmm. and it create, it got people thinking differently. It's impossible mm -hmm. to think the same way if you're listening to Beethoven as if you're listening to ACDC. So, so we found that that combination of music actually, apart from being good fun, encouraged people to think differently and change their focus and whatever. So that's using the emotion of music Differently. So does, does your approach yeah. with music that doesn't stimulate the emotion, does that um, – is that only for a certain type of people or is it – I mean, for creative people, does it yeah. work just as um, well? Well, I'm amazed that you were as successful as you were doing that. I've got strong science. So my, my company is Focus at Will. Anybody who yeah. wants to take a look at it, focusatwill.com. Um we have found, uh, we, we, we've got about a million and a half 
users. And we got a lot of data on what people do. Yes. And Folks That Will has, it's a, a, a unique and exclusive library of material across many genres, and it's all instrumental. So there's classical music, there's EDM, trance electronica, there's um, very, uh, there's up-tempo electronica, it's sort of trance, there's a chill, there's, there's nature sounds, there's all different things. They asked you a question is that everybody is slightly different. And what will make, what will help you focus sort of genre and style wise is different than the sort of music someone else will work. And if you have 30 people in a room, Mm. when you play music over the loudspeaker system, what you're doing is you're hoping that it's the least worst average effect. Because some people work great with noisy, up-tempo, crazy crashing sounds. And some people hate that. Yeah. And so... um, we, we have found there, there are a couple of things about this. Um, when you're trying to work, just think about someone, say, designing a web page. Yep. yep. You sit down. You've got an hour and a half, two hours of work to get done. And you sit and it takes you, most people, 10 or 12 minutes to get into a flow state. Yep. yep. Everybody's familiar with this. It takes you about 10 to 12 minutes. By the way, if your wife or a coworker comes up to you, 12 minutes into it and says, hey, I just have a quick question. It won't take a minute. You are, that's it. You're like, damn. Yep. I've now got to answer the question and now I've got to wind back in to where I'm at. And we have research that shows the second time you're in it, it takes you twice as long. So now it's going to take you 25 minutes, right? Yep. So once you get into a flow state, how long can you sustain a flow state? And most people can go for about 20 minutes. So about 25 or 30 minutes is measurably how long you can be super efficient. Okay. That's in the normal world. Well, we found with the Focus at Will Music, by the onboarding process tells you which genre of music will work best for you. Most of our users are running sessions between 100 and 120 minutes. So they're running nearly two hours of concentration. So you're able to go from like a 30-minute sort of concentration window normally, up to four times that. And if you think about how effective you could be, most people, when you're trying to sort of work on a spreadsheet or you've got a project to finish, if you can dive into this thing and put your full attention on it, you'll do your best work. Right. So the sort of the takeaway that, that we found and the reason why we've got a million and a half users is this is a tool that allows you to sort of wind into what you're doing. You don't notice the music. It's the weirdest thing. The idea is to have the music fade out behind you and then just be, do your very best work on the thing you're doing. The bell will ring at the beginning and the end. There's a timer on the application and then you can get out and stretch, get a drink of water, come back and then do another hour and a half. Mm. So it's about being the most efficient you can while you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, that's great. I find that when I'm working on a project, if I'm working on creating a business strategy or someone right. or something right. for someone, I have to f- focus until I get in the zone Yes, and then I can work really well. But yes. if I'm distracted by things popping up on the screen or whatever, yes. it screws yeah. me totally. Or if I somebody asks me a question, I've got to – you're right, I do have to start all over again. So yeah. how does somebody um, – I'm sitting out there and I'm thinking, gee, I'd love to be able to focus better. I'd love to get be able to get my staff to focus better. What's the process of getting um, 
music at will, focus at will, engaged. Um, actually, it, it, you just go to the website, focusatwill.com, and uh, there's a 14-day no-risk trial. Right. Um, I, I should warn people that two-thirds of the people who enter into our free trial uh, become paying subscribers. <laughs> just a heads up on that. <laughs> no, we, we stand by. It works. You know, so uh, yeah, there's a there's a mobile app too. You can find it on the Apple Store and on the Play Store. Um, as I just mentioned, though, it doesn't work for everybody, right? And it doesn't work at all for one person out of three who tries it. I mean, it really doesn't work. These are the people like this is the most stupid thing I ever tried. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> and it's to do with brain science, right? So people's brain type are different. Everybody's different. And one person out of three needs silence when they're working. They actually need no, no noise. And um, it's, a, it's a, a, a fairly accurate statistic that we found. This works for two people out of three that it does work. And of the two people out of three it does work for, one of them is going to have almost like a religious experience like, oh, my God, I can't work without this. And that's why I got a business, by the yeah. way. Does, this, does it take you – to a point where you just ignore the music's even there. Yeah. So you just you, you've just put your finger on it. So the human brain has these. You could think of it as two parts. There's my consciousness talking yes. to you right now, looking at you now, and then there's my subconscious, which is keeping. Is I'm breathing. <laughs> I'm sitting here, right? And my yes. subconscious is monitoring my environment for my safety. Yeah. And so. When you play music while you're trying to work, what you want to have happen is for that music to be interesting enough to engage your subconscious to soothe the fight or flight response, just to soothe. And when it does that, your consciousness doesn't notice the music. <laughs> okay. So I am in this. Here's where I'm at. This crazy thing. You can see these records behind me. Yes. This is all about hear a song on the radio. You can't forget it. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. You're in the rock business. You know, you yep. got to hit the Yep. And now, this stage in my life, I am making music that we don't want people to listen to consciously. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, got, I got to be pretty good at that a few times too. Um, <laughs> un unintentionally. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this was intentional actually, Bob. So, you can, so our listener can go on to um, the website and yep. uh, focus at will.com and just take just it from put there. It, and put it in Google, yeah. Okay, so how do you then determine what music's going to work for them? Um, the system has a sort of an onboarding process that, okay. that walks them through that. But it's really black and white. If this works for you, yep. you'll find the channel combination that works and you'll be like, oh, wow. When I look at the data of our users, 90% of our users find one channel and energy. There's something called the energy level, which is where you can you can titrate the exact amount of energy that works for you. Right. Um, when you find your combo, you never change it. Okay. So what's the biggest challenge you've ever faced in business? Um, I've had a couple, uh, a couple of serious ones. Um, one of them was, I'll, I'll tell you about this. Um, when I started Focus at Will, we were not doing music for work. We were doing something else. We started this doing something which was music for reading. Different thing. Okay. 
I got interested in the the early Kindles, you know. Yep. Just people were reading in airports, listening to music on the Kindle. I thought that's interesting. Maybe maybe we could do music that. And then because I've done music for movies, I thought maybe maybe when you're reading, we could do sort of a soundtrack to the book, right? Right. Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, you can imagine what kind of music that will be. <laughs> um, but seriously, a thriller would be like a car chase sound or a, is there a way that we could make music follow the words on a page? And I actually started uh, with John. We started this company and we had a music for reading tech. It used, a, it used artificial intelligence. It analyzed the words on a page. And if it was scary, this is for novels, if it was scary music, it would play you scary mu- music. If it was, uh, um, you know, an exciting, it would play you exciting music. So that the music that you heard followed the the content yeah, of the text. The content, yeah. And uh, we, got, um, we got Random House involved. We got their exec team involved, their investors through, through uh, Bertelsmann. And then I got introduced to the Kindle team at, uh, at Amazon. Mm. Awesome. We went into the head of Kindle. We showed him. We built a version of the tech working. You could download any book from Amazon, and then you could hit the music button. And as you, play, as you read, it played your music dynamically following what you were reading. Cool. Doesn't it sound like a great idea? Yeah, it does. Right. Here's what happened. We showed, <laughs> oh, boy. So I spent a couple of million bucks making this thing. We played it to them. They they liked it. They said, have you done any customer tests? I said, well, we've got about 100 users at the moment that we're just testing it on. They said, could you do a uh, market research? Um, get, get the guys at Random House to help you. So do some market research and see what people think. We'll price it and so on. So the guys at Random House helped us do some market independent market research tests. And I thought it was going to be a slam dunk. People love it. They're going to license it. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> no. <laughs> Put it mildly, it was a disaster. 10% of the people who tried it uh, thought it was great. 10% thought it was eh. And 80% found it the most distracting, stupid thing they'd <laughs> ever tried in their life. I was getting handwritten big green capital letters. Dude, guys, I wasted two hours of my life. I was like, oh my God, what the hell is this? And um, I was nearly running out of money. And um, I was just like, oh my God, have I just wasted two years of my life building a thing that no one wants? And um, what had happened was if you stopped trying to read, the system played you more neutral music because it didn't know where you were in the story. Right, it didn't know whether you were reading a scary bit or a happy bit. It just played you more neutral music mm. by in design. People started writing me saying, "Hey, this stupid idea of this thing that you wrote <laughs> is ridiculous." Anyway, I left it on in the background while I was working, and it's helping me work. <laughs> and that had a big That's light bulb moment go on. Wait a minute, neutral music helps people work and that's kind of sparked an idea and the guys at singularity university were very helpful peter diamandis in particular um you know peter peter said to me um he said hey listen you know you don't get paid to read but you do get paid to work yeah and that was like wait a minute peter can you write me a check for 50k and i'll see (laughs) there's your pivot (laughs) there's your pivot and i pivoted but we were down to like a month's money in the bank and um a total disaster of wasting $2 million worth of our investors' money. Will, we pivoted. 
We're out of time, so I really appreciate you speaking with oh. me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and for being my 100th medal guest on the show. That's great. Now, what an you, honor. Thank you. You can learn more about Will at focus at will. Com. That's focus at will.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. Coming at you on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today back in our studio on Hollywood Boulevard overlooking the whole west side of LA from Santa Monica past the city, and it is a magnificent day here. Now, are you a winner or are you a loser? Which one are you? Now, to be really successful in business, you need to set audacious goals. Don't be conservative, but you need to set audacious goals. Work smart and usually work bloody ridiculous hours to achieve them at the expense of any social life. You can and you will at some point in time achieve life-work balance, but just not both at the same time. (laughs) So how do we set our goals? The first step is to set goals that are in line with your values. If you're an entrepreneur, your corporate goals and life goals are probably intertwined. At least your life will be a combination of exhilaration, excitement, disappointment, anguish, worry, instead of being like most people and just being boring, monotonous and frustrating. And at the conclusion of every day, you're just eight hours closer to retirement than you were before. You've also got to set goals that you can control, not goals that are independent on outside forces or other people. You've got to be, got to be able to control your own destiny. Unless every single aspect of your goal is under your control, your chances of ever achieving it diminish. Thirdly, think big. If you want to be a millionaire, focus on your first 20 million. If you can fall, if you fall short, you can bet you would have well and truly made your first million. Essentially, if you're willing to put in the brain power, the commitment and the dedication, nothing is impossible. The only people who think small are losers. Now, anyone can create self-doubt, follow the unmotivated, listen to the dream takers. I often talk about dream takers. This world is full of dream takers. You know what dream takers are? You say, I've got this great idea, and they go, oh, I don't know. I don't reckon people will buy it. Or I knew somebody who tried that 10 years ago, and it was a failure. There's always people who want to set a low bar and you'll end up achieving a low bar. Set your sights higher than you ever believe possible. Now, set the audacious goals, but set them in increments so that 
you can actually get to each of these increments along the way. And every time you do, you'll feel more motivated to go to the next step. And always be positive. You know, dream takers. God, they start with school teachers to tell you what you can't do. Then lawyers, accountants, and mediocre family members who say, well, I'm really practical. But all they, are, all they are is just really full of bloody negative energy. Your dreams only have to be realistic to you. Fuck everyone else. Don't even let failure enter your mind. Look at how many people have overcome incredible adversity by believing and remaining positive. You need to be one of those people. Sure, you'll have adversity and challenges. Everybody does. But every one of those that you overcome takes you closer to your goal. And no matter what, you got, what your goal is, you'll face adversity. Nothing ever comes easy. It's bloody hard. So only surround yourself with winners, positive people who are optimistic. Dump the losers. You don't need their negative energy. But use those positive people, those winners. They've been there. They've done it. So keep running. Keep dreaming. Keep the flame of hope alive. Defeat and despair will not catch up with you if you do that. So, we've come to the end of the 348th show. Next week, I'm broadcasting from Sydney Harbour in Sydney, Australia. I'm there for a couple of clients for about a week. So, the next two shows might be from there. And remember, if you're not living on the edge... You're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody and everybody can be ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be by being not normal. And I hope you can join me again next Tuesday from Sydney, Australia, where the weather is cold in the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.